0: So Genesis chapter 8, if you would please, if you're able to, stand with me in honor of God as we read his word together. Genesis chapter 8, looking at the end there, starting in verse 20, and then we're going to read through uh, verse 17 of chapter 9. Here's Noah and his family, and the animals have just gotten off the ark, and it says in verse 20, Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. The intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease and then we come to verse 1 of of chapter 9 and God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are delivered every moving thing that lives shall be food for you And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your life, blood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you... Of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you, and every living creature that is with you, for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. Let me pray for us. Father, this morning we are mindful of, of your grace to us. When we think about those events of nearly 500 years ago, of uh, Martin Luther nailing those 95 theses to the door of the Wittenberg Chapel, and, and we think about the, the, the truths proclaimed by them those gospel truths and uh, truths about how we live in light of our faith in you about how our life is to be a life of of not just uh, penance to earn your favor but of uh, it's to be a life of of continual repentance we come to faith by placing uh, placing our faith in your son Jesus and then we continue to live in obedience to you as we uh, continually turn from sin and turn to you and We think about that truth and we would pray that you would help us to to proclaim it boldly and to live it out in in such a way that others are drawn to you through the work of your spirit as people see our lives. And then we also, Father, this morning think about our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are living in light of their faith in you and, and are being persecuted for it. We pray that this morning you would help them to continue to grasp the the glorious inheritance that is theirs, the glorious inheritance of all saints, and help them to see the the beauty of you as as they think about uh, the situation that they're in and the great value at which they hold you, that they would see you as more valuable than, than home, more valuable than possessions, and yes, Father, even more valuable than the lives of their family and, and their own life. Lord, help the gospel to be proclaimed as, as people suffer for you. We pray that in our own lives, Father, we would make that same calculation, uh, considering nothing comparable to the value of, of knowing you and possessing you through faith. Help with that to be reflected in our lives as well. We pray this for your glory in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. One of the challenges, I think, for those of us who are Christians living in a, a pluralistic culture, that is a culture that is uh, full of people with different beliefs and, and values, so one of the, the challenges for those of us who live in this pluralistic culture is is knowing what are the reasonable expectations we can place on people who have different values and beliefs that we do in terms of making decisions. In other words, as a Christian, I live my life in a certain way, and I have certain values, foundational assumptions about where morals come from, but I recognize that the people that I live around and and near and in society with don't share those convictions many times. And so what are reasonable expectations for me to have on people who don't share my values, my beliefs, my foundational assumptions about where morals come from. As I am in the workplace, I think we would all say that it's not reasonable for me to expect my co-workers to all come and and pray with me, and yet at the same time, I think we'd say that it's reasonable that my co-workers would be honest with me, and my belief about honesty and why that's valuable and all those sorts of things come from my belief in God. So how do those things balance, that, that tension, how do we resolve that? I think recently, Vice President Joe Biden gave an interview in which he described the, the tension that exists there, but I think he came to a rather horrible conclusion, actually. He said this as he was doing an interview and talking about abortion. He said, I'm prepared to accept that at the moment of conception, there's human life and being. And so he says, you know, I, I accept that, that there's conception and then there's life, but he says, I'm not prepared to say that to other God-fearing or non-God-fearing people who have a different view. What I'm not prepared to do is impose a rigid view, a precise view that is born out of my faith on people who are equally God-fearing or equally as committed to life or, and so forth. In other words, he says, I have this belief about life and when it begins, but for me to tell another person that they have to share that conviction would be to impose my beliefs upon them, and that would be inappropriate. And the tension that he describes there, even though I think he arrives at a terrible place, the tension that he describes there is real. You're a student, and you go into the school, and you're surrounded by classmates, and some of them have very different values and beliefs that, that you do, and who are you to tell them that they're wrong, and furthermore, who are you to, to tell them how they need to live, and, and so how, how, do you, how do you handle that? You go into the workplace, and... and Again, you have co-workers with different values and beliefs and assumptions about where morals come from. And we live in this society, and we certainly wouldn't want to legislate that every person must believe in Jesus Christ and worship him. And at the same time, we're going to advocate laws that are based upon morals, and we believe that morals come from God. So how do we handle that tension? Who are we to to say that something is right or wrong? And then, furthermore, and, and maybe this is even more foundational... As we live in a pluralistic culture, as ambassadors for Christ, what message of hope do we have for people who have said, I I don't believe in God, I don't believe in faith through God's Son, Jesus Christ? What message of hope can you possibly give to a person who says, I want nothing to do with God, and I have rejected him, even if they wouldn't consciously say that well god is so so gracious isn't he god is so very gracious and here in genesis chapter 9 and a little bit of genesis chapter 8 we encounter some words that god speaks a covenant that he makes that is a covenant that he makes not just with people who believe in him but a covenant that he makes with everyone A covenant and its blessings that are for every single human being who is alive today. A very, very gracious covenant. A covenant that we can point to... And show people God's covenant faithfulness and his kindness and his graciousness. There are blessings in here that are blessings for every single person who is alive today. Blessings that we can show people to point them to God and his character and his graciousness and the gospel. Beautiful, beautiful truths. Now, before we dive uh, too deeply into those, let me just uh, show you a little bit of a diagram because we're going to be talking about covenants, and, and some of you uh, may really enjoy pictures. I'm not very good at drawing pictures, uh, but here's kind of a, a little bit of a diagram. This is not a bomb, okay, uh, although it, it, it's a truth bomb, but um, it's not a bomb. Now, I'm, I'm told that we ran out of, uh, ran out of, of notes, and so if, if you don't have this picture um, and you, you can't see it very well... I i real quickly put it on my facebook page just now i was checking facebook and church yes and um and if we're not facebook friends shame on you that hurts deeply but i think you can still get to it you know so if you need a picture of it you can you can see it there on my facebook page but but you shouldn't be looking at facebook either i don't know there's another tension for us but let me um let me just kind of talk with you about this just for a minute for those of you who pictures help Sometimes we think of covenants that are in scripture as kind of like these, these individual chunks. And so here's a, a covenant that God makes with Noah. And then later there's a covenant that he makes with Abraham. And then later there's a covenant that he makes with Noah. And then later there's a covenant that God makes with, um, with, Dave, with, with David. Did I say Moses and David and a covenant he makes, a new covenant. So sometimes we think of these covenants as, as chunks and these, these individual relationships. But really what we see in scripture, these covenants are very much related to one another. And so as you look at this this diagram, you see kind of at the very top, we're kind of going chronologically, the, the top is the very beginning of creation, then you go all the way to the new heavens and the earth at the bottom of the page, and kind of the width describes who all is involved in these covenants. And as you look at creation, you, and you could use different terms there, and, and maybe you should, but there's, there's this, this this creation. And then... Then after that, there's this covenant that God makes with Noah, and what I like about this diagram is it shows that this covenant that God makes with Noah is, is all-encompassing. It includes all of humanity, and it's a covenant that lasts until the end of the world, it says here, and we're going to talk about that. So it's this, this overarching covenant. Now, therefore, the other covenants that God makes with individuals are not separate from the covenant that he makes with Noah, but they're contained within that covenant, and so later, as God makes a special covenant, a an agreement of relationship with Abraham, that covenant that he makes with Abraham is with one person and it encompasses his descendants. You kind of see that in the diagram as well. But it's in the context of this covenant with Noah. The covenant that he makes with Israel through Moses is a, is a covenant that continues. Here's how I'm going to fulfill these, these covenant blessings that I've promise to Abraham. And then you come to this this covenant that he makes with David. That covenant he makes with David is not separate from the covenant that he makes with Moses and the Israelites and Abraham. It's a continuation of that. And then it culminates in the person of Jesus Christ. And we all participate in the new covenant blessings. And we'll talk more about that as we go through Genesis and as we get through the rest of the Pentateuch. But I, I want you to see that this promise that God makes to Noah, this understanding of relationship, this covenant is not separate from other promises that God made. In fact, all of us who are alive today are experiencing the blessings of being in this covenant that God made with Noah. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Here's the main thing to grasp this morning, okay? As we think about Noah's covenant, as we think about Noah's covenant, what we see is this. It proclaims to every single human being who is alive today That God is a faithful covenant-keeping God who provides a way for us to worship him. What we see as we look at this this covenant with Noah is that God's covenant with Noah proclaims to every single human being that that God, that he is a faithful covenant-keeping God who provides a way for us to worship him. That's what we see as we look at God's covenant with Noah. As we look at this story, there are three things we're going to look at that are are things we learn as we look at the story of this covenant, things that teach us about who God is and what we can proclaim about God to every single human being who's alive today. Touch points of communication with them as we proclaim God's faithfulness, his character, and point them to the gospel so that they can participate. And God's new covenant as well. So let's look at the first thing. The first thing is this. As we look at the story of these, this, this covenant made with Noah. The first thing in the story that we learn is this. That the worship by Noah reveals our purpose in a fallen world. The worship by Noah reveals our purpose in a fallen world. And so look at the text with me if you would. We come there to the end of chapter 8 and Noah and the animals and his family have been on this boat for over a year, just over a year. And they come off of the ark. And the first thing that Noah does as he leaves the ark is what? What's the first thing that he does? He builds an altar, that's right. It's the first time the word altar appears in Scripture. And this, this word altar describes the this, this, this structure designed to offer these offerings on. And it says that he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And we need to be careful here because as we look at what Noah is doing, we're looking at Noah acting before God's covenant with Moses and before all the, the prescriptions involving burnt offerings and how to offer them. But what it would seem to be the, the case is that the regulations that God gives Moses concerning burnt offerings had their foundations long before Moses. And so I, I think that what we see Noah doing here is, is uh, repeated or the the, 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 truths behind what Noah is doing here are repeated as You look at the Mosaic Covenant. But anyway, here's some things that we learn even later in Scripture about what a burnt offering would be used for. Uh, Sometimes in Scripture, a burnt offering is used to deal with sin. So, for example, uh, Job, also ministering before the Mosaic Covenant, Job would offer burnt offerings for all of his children, right? He said, perhaps one of my, my children has sinned against God. And so Job would offer these Burnt offerings. In Leviticus Leviticus we see these offerings described and and, and 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 spelled out. Leviticus one we see that a person would lay his hand on the head of a burnt offering and that would be acceptable for him. To make atonement for him, and so these offerings, these burnt offerings, are these uh, totally consumed offerings that are voluntary, and sometimes they were used to deal with sins. Sometimes they were used at times of thanksgiving. So something good had happened, and so a person voluntarily would offer this this burnt offering to the Lord, and the whole offering is consumed in this whole burnt offering, and so it's this time of thanksgiving. So it's to offer atonement for sin. It's to be used for times of thanksgiving. It was also used at times to petition God. So you think, for example, of Hannah offering this sacrifice and praying to the Lord for a son, and it's this whole burnt offering. As one person put it, this this offering is all-encompassing. A whole burnt offering was all-encompassing. It speaks to all the emotional needs and uh, provisions of the worshiper, and so that's what Noah is doing here. As Noah... Offers this offering, it's a sign of great faith in God, isn't it? He doesn't wait until the herd gets a little bigger, until there's been a couple of generations of, of animals here. No, uh, Noah offers this sacrifice very soon, right as they leave the ark. Now, how does God respond? Look at the text again. Verse 21 says, The Lord smell this this pleasing aroma he's he's using language here that's kind of uh, human-like language to describe God's reaction there's several times in scripture where it speaks of God smelling things and the, the favorable response he has or smelling things and being disgusted by them this morning I, I walked into the garage I was thinking about this text and I I smelled the garbage in our garage and I was disgusted, you know, it's it's just a terrible smell. And I I walked out, I I don't know if you guys still smell this, those of you who are a long time, central Illinoisans, but I smell like the the yeast smell in the air this morning. Oh, that's just not a great smell. It wasn't like the smell last night of all the chocolate in the air, just a beautiful, oh yes, a pleasing aroma, Right. Or the, the smell of, of cookies baking. You know, there's, a, there's a pleasing aroma, and, and God's the language here to describe God's reaction is that God sees the sacrifice, and there's this there's this response of pleasure on God's part as He sees Noah engaging in worship to Him, faith fueled worship. Now, there's a couple things we also see here. Look at the how look at how God responds. He, he gives several commitments. First of all, he says, I'll never again curse the ground. In other words, I'm, I'm not going to, to repeat what I've done earlier. And we're going to see several parallels between Noah and Adam here. But he says, okay, my response here is not going to curse the ground again. He also says, I'm also never going to strike down every living creature as I've done. And then he also commits uh, positively. He says, as long as the earth remains, so it's not an eternal promise, but as long as the earth is around, uh, seasons are going to continue. Springtime, harvest, a sea time harvest, summer, winter, day, night, all these things won't cease. Now, why is that so gracious on God's part? Well, look at what else he says. He says, this is verse 21, I'm not going to curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. That's kind of a depressing verse, right? There's just been this worldwide flood, Everyone except Noah and his family have been wiped off the face of the earth. You're down to eight human beings and they're still evil. What I think this is telling us is that even though the human heart has not changed after the flood, God is going to choose to be gracious to us. And what we see here is that God's expectation on humanity is that they would continue to worship him. The purpose that God has for humanity has not changed. The purpose of humanity is to worship God. And the worship... By Noah reveals this purpose that we have in a fallen world. Now there's a couple things here based upon what we see that we can proclaim to all people everywhere. What we can proclaim to all people everywhere at all times is that our purpose is to worship God. We can proclaim to all people everywhere at all times that there is a barrier to our worship of God. And that barrier is sin. And we can proclaim to all people everywhere at all times that God will graciously deal with that barrier of sin for us and will respond to us favorably when we worship him in faith no matter what your culture no matter what your background no matter at what point in human history you find yourself in god's call on you is to worship him god's warning to you is that there's a barrier to worship and god's promise to you is that he will deal with that barrier all people everywhere all times Here's the second thing I want you to see as we look at this this covenant. The second thing is that the blessing of Noah reveals our uniqueness in a fallen world. The blessing of Noah reveals our uniqueness in a fallen world. Now, what do we see happen next? God has said this in, to himself there in verses 21 and, and 22. And, Then we come to verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, and God blessed Noah. So he responds with this blessing. And he says to Noah and to his sons, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now there's a couple things about this blessing that I want you to notice. And these are blessings that exist for all people at all times. It's kind of interesting how little people change, right? Right? Whenever I was younger, kind of in grade school, our our family moved around a a lot. So I was was at a different school, fourth grade, fifth grade, and sixth grade. And I can remember at that time, in in fourth grade, as my dad told us we were moving again, I remember thinking, um, there's an upside to this, right? I was strange enough to know that I was strange. You know, I wasn't like the weirdest kid in the class. I wasn't the kid that got picked on or anything. But I was kind of like, I wasn't the coolest kid in class. I certainly wasn't as cool as I felt I deserved to be. And so uh, every time we moved, I thought, well, well this, this could be the opportunity for, for me to become the cool kid. Um, maybe at the next school, uh, coolness is not based upon athletic ability, but on reading ability. And I'm in. I'm going to reign. You know, finally, you know, a value system that reflects how cool I am. You know. Well, surprisingly, uh, to many of you, I never t- obtained the coolness to which I thought I was destined to achieve. But uh, the, the reason is, people kind of stayed pretty much the same. You go from one location to another, and and you you find that the people are are, are kind of the same. In fact, I. I don't know if you've ever moved or experienced this, but whenever you move and you kind of encounter people and you're like, oh, that person reminds me of him and she reminds me of her and, and you sometimes call them by the wrong names or whatever. But that's the similarity of people across all cultures even, right? There's there's a, a similarity to people and we all experience these, these blessings and, and yet all of us as human beings Human beings are unique, have these unique promises that God makes to us. And these are some things that are, are, make us human beings, right? Make us, make us all the same in terms of the blessings we've received from God. Now, the first thing here is in verse 1. There's this blessing of unique relationships. We, human, human, we as human beings have been blessed with unique relationships. Noah is promised and blessed with the same way that Adam was. Yours to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And we've talked before about the context in which that is to occur. There's supposed to be this, this family. And whenever the family structure is broken, it's always the result of being in a fallen world. And so whenever you lose a parent or whenever you lose a child or whenever a marriage is broken or whenever there's some sort of disruption in that process, you recognize, man, this is the result of us living in a fallen world and God is gracious. But the presence of the family, the presence of this this Structure this unit here is a sign of God's blessing. We have been blessed with unique relationships, and we've talked about that before. Another blessing that we see here is that we have been blessed with unique authority. We've been blessed with unique authority. Again, look at the text. It says, The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground. And, All the fish of the sea into your hand, they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. You shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And we, as human beings, have been granted a unique authority over the created realm. We are not to abuse this. We're to practice our stewardship in a God-honoring way. But we are to recognize that we are blessed with uniqueness in this area. We are not the same as animals. Now, these first two blessings, the blessing of a unique relationship and family and the blessing of unique authority, these are, these are blessings that we reject, right? Our culture rejects sometimes. God has said, here's the blessing of a family, and the culture says, no, I don't, I don't want that blessing. I was just reading this morning uh, an article from the Boston Herald, I think it was published yesterday, in which the, the author was celebrating China's one-child policy, Right? Now, they're saying some of the enforcement of it is wrong, but, but celebrating the idea of the one-child policy as if children were some sort of curse upon humanity, and God has said they're, they're a blessing, in humanity is rejecting that blessing. We are told that we have unique authority over animals. We're separate, we're unique, and people say, I don't really believe that. And again, I always want to be really careful when I use illustrations of pets, because I know they're so valuable, but... Um, Again, let me lovingly suggest that sometimes we have a really wacky view of animals, right? Saw an article this week talked about how 40% of, pe- 40% of pet owners, now I'm sure not in this room, but 40% of pet owners would choose the life of their pet over the life of a stranger. Saw another article that said that um, 40% of married women with dogs believe they have a closer emotional connection to their dogs than their husbands. Which I don't know if that says a lot about the dog or a little about the husband, you know. There's kind of a balance there. But certainly, I think it would reflect that we have some wacky values when it comes to animals. We spend $1,000 the first year of owning a dog or a cat. $500 each additional year. And yet very few people are willing to spend the money a couple hundred bucks it would take to, to save the life of a child and provide the medical treatment in developing countries it's weird guys, it's weird we have our view of animals really wacky at the end of the day a cow is a big hamburger right <laughs> for many of us it doesn't have to be that way for everyone, but certainly we need to, we need to understand, look, here, here's the value that God places upon animals. Animals are to be used for human beings' benefit. Now, at the same time, Scripture speaks of how the, a person who has a right view of animals is going to treat them well, not harm them, not abuse them. But to understand, look, God, is, God has given me a unique place in the created realm, the created order, unique authority. We're also, then, we see here in verses 5 and 6, blessed with unique protection, Unique protection, another blessing. He says, he talks here about capital punishment in verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for God made man in his own image. And maybe some of you have struggled with the idea of capital punishment. I certainly have, have struggled with that as I've thought about the right response of a Christian. But what I believe here is its placement here in Scripture Here, before the Mosaic Law is given, here before the covenant with Abraham, here this covenant with all humanity, what I think is being said here, this unique placement is showing that there is a universal need for capital punishment in some circumstances. That the taking of human life is a uniquely uh, heinous violation of God's gift of life. The person who takes another person's life has forfeited their own. Now, We don't understand the value of life in our culture, and so that seems maybe disconcerting for many. But what we see as we go throughout Scripture is that all life has value, all human life has value, and the responsibility of the believer is to reflect that value and proclaim that value. In a couple weeks, uh, months, as we look at the Sanctity of Life Sunday, we're going to be reading from Zechariah chapter 8, Lord willing. And listen to what happens in Zechariah chapter 8. This is a sign of God's blessing on the city. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts. This is in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with a staff in hand because of great age. So a sign of God's blessing on the city of Jerusalem is going to be the presence of old people. And then verse Five of Zechariah eight and the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its street. What does a culture that recognizes the value of life say as it sees old and young? It says this is a beautiful thing. This is a sign of God's blessing upon us because life has value. We live in a culture that has taken that blessing that God's here is a blessing, and this our culture said no, that's a curse. Old age is a curse. Children curse. Now, here's what I I believe. This blessing that God gives to Noah is a blessing that he gives to all people everywhere at all times. And so, as we exist in a pluralistic culture, we are are talking to people that even though they're suppressing the truth of God, have it written upon their hearts and their conscience. And so, I believe it's a touch point with them. I think it's it's reasonable to proclaim these truths to them. Encourage them to understand who God is and the responsibility to accept these blessings and receive them, right? Think about Christianity in the, the first century. Christianity existed in a culture that had rejected the blessings that God offered. A few years before Jesus was born as a human being, a man wrote a letter to his wife, who was a Roman merchant, and he wrote home to his wife, he said, as she was expecting a, their first child, he said, if it is a, a son, uh, let him live, but if it is a girl, uh, leave her to die. And he said it very callously, indicating this was not a, an abnormal thing for a husband to advocate doing. Christianity in the first century existed in a culture that rejected God's values, rejected teaching about who God was and what he desired, the blessings he desired to give to all humanity and Christianity flourished as it steadfastly proclaimed these truths. And I believe that a touch point with all people at all times and all places is to, is to proclaim to them these blessings that God desires to give them. It reflects the character of God, it speaks to the conscience that we all have as human beings and allows A touch point to proclaim the good news of faith through Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing we see as we look at the covenant of Noah. Covenant with Noah. The covenant with Noah reveals our hope in a fallen world. Now we get more specifically to this this covenant, this promise that God makes. Now a covenant would not necessarily begin a relationship. Oftentimes it took an existing relationship and defined it officially. Sometimes in the Old Testament, as you talk about a covenant, there'd be this ceremony that people would, would engage in where they'd take these animals, they would kill them, and they'd, they'd cut them in half, and they'd place one half of the animal over here and one half of the animals over here. And, and a person that you're making a covenant with, you, you two would, would make this covenant, this, this agreement with each other about how you were going to exist in relationship together, and then you, you would walk through the halves of these animals, one half on one side, one half on the other, and it was kind of like this indication, look, if I ever violate this agreement that I'm making with you, may I be like one of these animals torn apart so a covenant was this ceremony in which a, a formal declaration a vow was made about how these people were going to relate to one another and God makes this vow of relationship with Noah we think about examples in our own culture there's the, the vow of a wedding vow and a wedding ceremony in which a covenant is made as we come into relationship together in a church we we covenant together We're formalizing our relationship before God. We're going to treat one another a certain way. Now, what is God covenant with Noah? He says this. He says in verse 8, he's making this covenant with Noah and his son, so all of humanity at the time. And he says this is going to continue for everyone who comes after you, so that's us. And he says, I'm going to continue... To allow you to, to live, I'm going to allow, the, as you mentioned at the end of chapter 8, the seasons to continue. Never again is there going to be a flood. Now, why is this important? God has just given Noah blessing. I'm going to bless you with, with family. I'm going to bless you with this unique ability to, to have authority on the earth. I'm going to bless you with this unique protection, the value of human life as you seek to worship me. And he says, as he makes this covenant, he says, now I, I promise to provide the conditions in which you can be blessed. In other words, as long as the earth exists, there's never going to be this this flood type event that would prevent you from experiencing the blessings that I've promised you. So there's hope. And every time you you see the rainbow, you remember this covenant. And God says even he looks at the rainbow and remembers this everlasting covenant he's made with every living creature. Now why Why is this a big deal? This covenant with Noah reveals, even in a fallen world, post-flood, continually plagued by sin, that there's hope. See, this is a covenant that God has kept year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium. God has kept this covenant. You come throughout the Old Testament and you, you see God mention this covenant that he made with Noah, so you come for, to example for Jeremiah, to Jeremiah 33, and God's talking about this new covenant and this promised Messiah, and you say, well, how do, how do I know that this promise with, with David is going to culminate in Messiah, and God says this, he says, look, look, here, here's, here's how you know. If I've established my covenant with the day and the night and the fixed order of heaven and earth, if, if that ever ends, then I will also reject the offspring of Jacob, the Messiah, David, my servant and will not choose one of his offspring to rule over the offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he's saying, because I've kept this previous covenant, and have continued to keep my covenant to allow all these blessings to exist for all people at all times everywhere, for them to, to live and this earth to exist and the seasons to exist, day and night to exist, because I've kept that covenant, I will keep this covenant. You know that I will keep this covenant of the Messiah, of one to reign forever. You know, you and I, live in a, a world where the reality is that, that we don't understand relationship, right? It's hard for us to understand this, this covenant faithfulness. And what this, this covenant that God makes with Noah proclaims to all people at all times everywhere is that God is, is faithful to keep his covenant promises and to show mercy. It proclaims to people all times, everywhere, in all situations, that God is a God who desires relationship. God is not a God who draws up contracts with us. God doesn't say, okay, uh, I, I, you know, you got some things I want, I have some things you want. I'm going to lay out some real attractive deals for you, and you can just kind of sign here and sign here and initial here and put up a little collateral, collateral here, and we will have ourselves a deal. That's not how God relates to us. God relates to us in covenant. He formalizes our relationship saying, I don't, I don't want just to be a, in a, a cold, a heartless relationship with you. I want to be in a, a committed relationship with you, but a relationship, not a contract, not a business transaction. And that's a truth that I believe that by God's grace, if if he softens hearts, that's a truth that can be proclaimed to every person that God brings into your life. It's a truth that you can proclaim to yourself. God is not interested in you fulfilling some terms of a contract. God isn't interested in you uh, achieving some sort of results that can be in a relationship with you. God desires true relationship and God is a faithful covenant keeping God. And here's what we see as we look at the covenant with Noah that God is faithful he's kept this covenant for thousands of years and if he chooses to he can keep for thousands and thousands of more and and never miss a moment of being faithful in this he's going to continue to be merciful he's going to continue to allow a world to exist and what we have the opportunity to do as ambassadors of Christ is to proclaim to people that God has placed us in relationship with hey this is who God is this is the one who has written eternity in your hearts. And here's what the meaning of life is. This covenant with Noah is not some, some thing that I think that human beings find surprising. What family is a good thing? What the world existing is good? These are things that, that God has graciously and his common grace revealed to all of us. And this covenant with Noah that exists for all human beings isn't a covenant that is just some sort of covenant that lets people live, but it's a covenant that God graciously allows to continue year after year, decade after decade, century after century, millennium after millennium, so he can continue to call people to himself, so they can enter into relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. It proclaims to every single human being that God is a faithful, covenant-keeping God who provides a way to worship him. May we do the same. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gracious covenant you've made with us. We thank you that it points us to you and to your character. Help us to proclaim that clearly with, with boldness and joy. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.